Welcome everybody, this is BMP Weekly, episode 159. It is 28th of March, so we're hitting end of the first quarter of this year, so spring is coming, which is really, really cool. In the BMP Weekly, we'll talk about the latest in Microsoft 365, and we typically also have a visitor together with articles, which have been released by Microsoft and the community. This week, we have Stefan Bauer from N8D, and he actually opens up where that name is coming from, which is actually really cool. I wasn't aware of that, so where the company yeah. name is coming from. Uh, we also from. debunk how you say the place where he lives. <laughs> that, that <is> true. <laughs> <laughs> so you definitely want to tune in for that. Yeah. You know, important things. <clears throat> Stefan is a really, really specialist on, on, <laughs> on specialist on the design languages and design in HTML and CSS levels. So really, and we focus on that discussion uh, with him and the stuff that he has been done with H2O, which is a open source design model on top of Microsoft Fluent. Fluent. What? Don't take our word for <laughs> it. Let's jump into the uh, Let's jump interview. On the inter- exactly. <laughs> Let's jump to the interview. <laughs> Welcome, Stefan Bauer from uh, Wien, Austria, or Vienna. It's, I, I guess, the right way of pronouncing that in English, isn't it? Because yeah. in Finnish, it's actually Wien. So. I mean, it's, it's, it's N8D, the company that I started was N8D. And no, no, I, I was talking about City, Vienna. Oh, City, yeah, it's Vienna, yeah. <laughs> yeah Sorry, Stefan. <laughs> What's the right way of pronouncing the, the city in the local language? In local, it's Wien. There we go, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, but in English, it's Vienna, which is Vienna, yeah. Strange, uh, because in Finnish it's actually been so. It's, yeah, which wow. comes from the Latin name of uh, Vienna, which was Vindobana, and okay, yeah, that's why. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> good sidetrack. But you, you actually said N8D, N8D. Can you talk about your company and what are what are yeah, you actually doing? So yeah, I live in Vienna here. Uh, my name is Stefan Bauer. I'm, I'm from Austria. I'm an office development MVP. My company is named N8D. And N8 because it's night or Nacht in German. And so ah. we have here the language again. And the D is for design and development. Um, so it because previously when I was employed in companies, I did all the regular business stuff during the day and all the cool stuff and fun stuff during the night, right? So <laughs> I said it, it would be ah, nice. I, I create analogy to call my company N8D because I, I, I'm really a night owl and like to work at night without any distractions. Well, if you have customers in the US, right? Because then it's daytime for them. And yes, exactly, so. exactly. I have only one or two customers here in Austria and, and the rest is, is all across the world. So that is really cool. But also in, in Netherlands and, and, and US, South Africa. Really so, cool. Now, what does that mean? What do, what does it mean that you are a designer, and what kind of thing? What what does it actually mean uh, for those who do not understand what you do? I mean, there there's some things that is in common between design and development, right? And this is problem mm-hmm. solving. The designer solves problems with the user interface or or the interaction that the human has with the computer, while the developer solves problems with code, which builds functionality that never existed before. And so that that's my understanding why design and development works pretty well together, and especially if they work together in, in, a, in a team um, where one takes the design part and there is a good communication between designer and developer, then both sides can profit from this, right? The developer more gets a design insight uh, from, from the designer, while the 
designer gets more insight what is really technical possible what you can do with it is it possible that we have to design it in that way and, and so on and so forth so i, I think nowadays with responsive web design and, and with, with all the uh, different applications that we have running on different devices it's really crucial that designer and developer work close together yeah they're not like in the old good old schedule days yeah. when we were we dinosaurs we were basically yeah. given a ad and advertisement agency given designs and said make it happen and you're like yeah, yeah but you can this is impossible what do you <laughs> so, mean you can't <laughs> Anything is possible, but yeah, that's I great. create this nice Photoshop file. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Just and nowadays it's Figma file, right? So yeah, <laughs> just make that not, happen. But nothing changed really, right? <laughs> no. Also, maybe so. Maybe on that point, like, what do you, if you look back, because you've been around for a while in our in our space, you've been doing this work for years. How do you see things changed over the years, if at all? I mean, I started with with web development in 1997 and which is almost 25 years ago and so we had there so what uh, tools did we have then yeah what was, uh, what was available to you there were a lot front page no <laughs> home site and dreamweaver and all this, this stuff where you had some sort of visivigator that helped you to build your websites right we have i guess it was html 3.2 with the transition to html 4.0 IE3, IE3, stuff like that, I5, and so on. And what what we got with HTML4 was the first thing was CSS, which mm. then really separated the thing that we have. On one hand, we have HTML and how it looks and feels. We have CSS to make the whole all design over there. Back in, the, in 3.2, we had even tags like font tags where you then can yep. specify comic sense. On, a, on certain elements or headlines, which was then a, a complete mess between design and, and, and the structure of the page. And, and now with HTML and CSS, once they were separated, it was, it really, uh, the, the web took off and mm -hmm. you saw a lot of adoption in this. And what, yeah, how do we transition there to now? Is it a good thing? What are the toolings, what we use? Uh, is it just evolving off of everything? I mean, Wallach is right. Figma is some sort of the new Photoshop, right? I do work in Figma with for customers because they want to see the design before I build it. And each time I'm in Figma, I always think to myself, oh my God, I would be so much faster when I do it just in HTML and CSS, right? That that That's a big difference. But customers want to see nice looking pictures without actually build something while nowadays with, with the more with the CSS design to uh, the, the CSS specification that we have and if someone is really proficient like I think I am in, in HTML and CSS I can scratch out the complete design in HTML and an HTML prototype first in the same amount not maybe less time that I used to build up the Figma file. And the challenge with Figma files or, or other design tools that we have out there, which there is Adobe XD and, and other tools, which falls in the same category like, like Figma, they are really great uh, when you, you, you can drag and drop something really quickly together. But the fundamental design that you use in there, if you don't do your Figma file or your Photoshop or your Adobe XD properly, then you won't get 
some sort of, hey, I extract everything out into an HTML, which doesn't really work if those source files are not built properly, right? And you can spot and identify when someone something was built in Figma first and then transitioned into, into HTML and CSS because you know exactly what you did in Figma, which then transitioned to HTML. And because the designer designed it this way, it doesn't really work in HTML that properly as it should be, right? So you're not are you then a fan of Figma or in general? So you're basically how do you do your work? How do you how do you come up with the stuff what you need to do? Uh, pen and papers. <laughs> the fastest, <laughs> best way to build something. Pen and yeah. paper on a because there there's nothing even faster than that. And then once I have the, the base idea how to build something, then I directly into HTML and CSS. Okay. Yeah and I mean, it's um, when when you build something in HTML and CSS, the first thing what I do there, I don't worry about that much to have it in a, in a structured way. I just build out everything into a single HTML page and then split it out in components, which is the faster way to do it because I'm, I'm getting more speed in there uh, just building it on a single HTML page first, right? So there are two, two things that I want to ask. Like, first one go, goes back to what we said that over the course of years, we've seen or with the advent of CSS, we saw the uh, separation of expressing the documents or web pages semantic meaning and the way it looks like, right? So HTML now being the first one, CSS being the UI part. Yeah. But then over the course of years, we also have seen things like Bootstrap and other things that are kind of like the CSS YouTube class, or I don't know, like there is specific name for a a, a class that expresses the exact UI as opposed to meaning. So in other words, you kind of, again, mix and match semantic meaning of a document with the UI in a document, but then through CSS. So you kind of go the other way back. How do you feel about that, I wonder? Um, yeah, I mean, if you think about Bootstrap, Bootstrap did it pretty, uh, I mean, you have to, this, the semantic meaning is more for the people, right? It, HTML doesn't really care about the semantic meaning, what it has. But when I want to build a, a, a button and want to style something as a button and what is common, that some people might design a hyperlink that looks like a button. So you have for the humans, you have the, these, these, these semantic meanings to the HTML while the browser doesn't really care how it's rendered, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and there, I mean, other frameworks like Tailwind or so go a, a different way. They have utility classes and you can build everything from scratch out which is pretty proficient for someone who doesn't is, is that aware with, with CSS. Because what you can do in Tailwind, for example, you can say, okay, this is my HTML, this is my CSS, uh, and I added all these classes, but then I can compile out directly from the source code, from the HTML source code and the CSS proper class names and optimize the CSS in this way, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so it gives you much more flexibility, but it's, it's, it's uh, at the end of the day, what you want to have, you want to have, a uh, especially when you build a design system, which is Fluent UI, uh, is then you want to have the semantic meanings to it. Whatever you need there in, a, in addition to this, you can then build up toolbars and additional card layouts. But there is also, I mean, it, it's a complex thing if you think about it, because when you, for example, build a card layout, and I see a lot of uh, developers do it this way, so they always define a diff, right? For everything. It's a diff. 
yes. a div or it's a span. And yeah. there is, uh, for example, if you want to create a card layout the proper way, or the, the mo most people do it, so they have the cards in a section, which section HTML element, but then you won't use the uh, section HTML tag in your CSS because you shouldn't do this. So you should add card container or something like that to it. Mm -hmm. The cards themselves are articles. I mean, it sounds weird because article, you think of, about a, a complete blog post, but each card of those is, is, a is, a, is an article. There's also something that has changed with HTML5 now. So the headline of the card should be an H1. Yeah. Yes. Because it's in a section in an article and then you have the H1, it is clear that I have the meaning is the main headline of the article or the card that you have. Yeah. Now, I related on that. So actually, the H1 changes and all of that. And then how would, how would you know? How would people know? The, the the meaning and impact and how they should be done because again you're you're talking about this in a fluent way because you don't need to really think about not fluent way in the fluent way as in the Microsoft fluent but but then you don't need to think about the reasoning and and uh, where this is coming you just know but how would another person know well, how, in uh, the past how they... we used to have these things called books a book oh that's... yeah <laughs> no. we used to no make way. stuff and, and the book were then transformed into the digital version of the web, right? You see blog posts, huh? and and when you when you build something, then what I do first, and and I'm, I don't know everything, right? But uh, then I look what other people do, how it's the proper way to do it, and one of the core things is how do I build it in an accessible way, right? And then you get to add the uh, to to people that are more proficient with with accessibility, and they say, okay, yeah. When you have a section, then it's a complete different section of the page, which represents something completely different in context. And then you have, when you have the articles in there, it says, hey, hey, you're now currently on an article like the voiceover that you that you get from screen readers, right? Yeah. And so on and so forth. So, I mean, you can't build HTML. It, HTML and CSS doesn't really care about how you build things. But might other people that are visually impaired have other limitations uh, might care how you have built this to get the proper highlighting. So, yep. for example, when you have a button and it just says, tells you, hey, you're currently on a hyperlink, then this is wrong because it actually works and acts like a button. Yeah. So the, the user who is not able to see the user interface get a completely different idea where they are at the moment. So, so, so what, what, what tools would you recommend? Because it's, I think, for a big, big part, it's caused by, or I can imagine that it's caused by lack of awareness. It's basically the same thing. Like, you don't pay attention to it at all when you are on a street, when you're in a building, when you need to cross a road, until you break your leg and you cannot walk. You need to use a cane or a wheelchair, or you have, like, you cannot see things for a reason. Only then you get to experience, you know, like how people who don't have the full abilities experience world, right? So it's kind of this, you know, this moment when you get to experience yourself only because you're exposed to it. Only then you become aware of the different things, like things that aren't made to be accessible for everybody. So how would you, what tools or resources would you recommend to everybody who builds on the web or who build apps? to really experience how other people see and experience things so that they are aware when they build things 
what impact decision they make has on on users yeah i mean there there's there's a lot of change in there uh, what you can do and it's really convenient back in the past you had to really use tools to actually show if it's accessible but now you have all these tools baked into your browser so mm -hmm. the latest edge version ships something for example that allows you to flip the complete website into high contrast mode directly in the browser which you normally do on a windows but i work mostly on a mac so i couldn't do this but now with with, with microsoft edge i'm able to switch into a high contrast mode and firefox has tools that shows you exactly how the page looks like when you're visually impaired or, or colorblind like my son is for example mm. um and, and there are a lot of tools already baked in into the in, into the browser because the whole industry is all about we want to make our our applications and websites accessible for everyone because at the end of the day we don't want to limit it to just certain people who can see the, the web page and i really would think um uh, and and these tools are uh, also evolve over time and and becoming more proficient and they you have google there and you have microsoft which builds on top of of microsoft edge additional accessibility tools so you can directly check the the dom structure and so on and so forth and it it's, should be part of your daily development routine to also check the accessibilities there and that especially in many countries nowadays there are accessibility requirements um uh, is it is it actually fair to say that accessibility is the currently the main driver of the the next steps of html and and how the the browser and the internet is evolving mm, yes it's i mean it, it's it's for a couple of years uh, i mean the first the first time i i was confronted with accessibility was when i was working in linz in my hometown in uh, for a, for a company for a government company right yep. so it's always there but uh, we should really have the awareness that you have to build something accessibility and it was really nice thing when when we built out the website and then we were going to the university in, in linz and had someone check our accessibility on the website which was built on HTML 3.2, right? The really mm -hmm. old version. And there was one guy there who had, was blind and he checked our websites about accessibility and told us things that we can improve there. And he said, and by the way, the colors doesn't match to each other. You have a blue and a yellow there. You should use other colors, right? Mm -hmm. So don't think because just someone cannot see, he doesn't recognize what colors you use there. Because it this did it, it all came down to mathematics. So he, he did the math there. Okay, this color codes means you have a yellow there, and then you have a blue there, and the whole how to make the, the contrast between colors are all based on formulas, right? Mm -hmm. And so it was directly able to say, okay, this color doesn't match. Use something different. And there are so many things that 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 we don't know, and some things that we even cannot experience as developers so um we we had an, uh, a session at microsoft at some point where someone who showed us how he use um how he use he was blind and how he used tools and and applications throughout his day and he showed us yeah he does the voiceover on on his phone but in a speed that you could never imagine so he turned up the speeds 
with the voiceover completely to the end, super fast. He was recognized just to the mumbling voices uh, that he hears. Okay, this is a button. This is this, 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 right? Because he's so used to it. So you can never imagine it how, how it is really when you have uh, uh, some disabilities. And even I got mine, I have now classes. And you're probably not aware, aware of this. And uh, during the coronavirus uh, crisis, uh, I was at some point, I haven't seen that good anymore and couldn't concentrate. And then I was going to a doctor and he said, yeah, guess what? You're farsighted all your life. And I said, like, what? Okay, I don't know. <laughs> wow. Wow. So you know, all of a sudden find out this new world, which is yeah. like, oh my God, with this class, oh, oh. And then that it's yes. almost like the as long as we take the accessibility into account in the experience designs in a website and, and software, then those people who have these disabilities, they can actually then see the world in a, in a yes. different way because we're taking yeah. them into account. So, yeah. And this well, yeah. also falls them back down to the HTML structure, what you have in there. So you can, for example, when you have an HTML input field, all these inputs and form fields are made 100% to have it accessibility to work exactly the same way, have uh, operating system fallbacks uh, so that everyone uh, can access the form. Mm -hmm. And when you we do design, then there is also a challenge there when you because you couldn't style, a, for example, a dropdown, yeah, in a proper way. But those are built; those dropdowns that you have out of the box are built in a in a, in a way that it they, they are accessible by default, but you cannot design them. And then you, if you want to really create a a, a dropdown box custom. Then you have to build a lot of code out there, and then you write a lot of JavaScript to make it accessible back again. So it's there. There are tendencies to go into future. So we have this form, we have designs for the form elements as well, uh, in an accessible way. But uh, and and that we can override the styling there better. And there is uh, one group together with with Microsoft and Google, which is the Open uh, Open UI platform, where they compare different variants. What is out there? What have the people built, and 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 how we can bake this then into our browsers to have it accessibility and give also the designer to be able to to design the controls in 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 however they like it. Now related on designing and related on <laughs> accessibility, of course, uh, in mind. Um, then then there are design languages and design tooling available, uh, which yeah. people actually build on top of the, the, the rules and guidance and everything else. So if you think about from Microsoft side, we've been releasing Office UI Fabric a while back and then the Microsoft Fluent game. Um, can you talk about bit on, on uh, what's the value of those things as well? So why does Office UI Fabric? But you're not uh, the creator of that, but you know that yeah, so since reasons. I mean, what what we, what what we did back in the past to SharePoint and, and other Office applications that really we built our so many things and, and adopted design in so many ways, and sometimes it was broken as well. So what Microsoft tries to to give us was Fluent UI and started which started with Office UI Fabric to have a consistent design language that we can integrate into SharePoint uh, and. Office 365 applications. That that's basically what it is. So it, it's the the way of Microsoft giving us tooling to have a seamless integration 
into their ecosystem, which is is pretty cool. But the problem is the the current state of Fluent UI is that we have React controls, we have web components, we have a lot of frameworks, and the off also they have tools for for the Windows ecosystem for the desktop applications and so on and so forth. Uh, problem there is there, from my perspective, there's nothing which is just HTML and CSS. And if I want to extend Office 365 in a way that I say, okay, I want to use Angular elements, I want to use Vue.js or another framework, or I built these custom application for my customers that runs on an Azure website or something like that, which just should look like a Microsoft Office 365 application that might have some backend end connection to, to the Office 365, uh, then you're a little bit out of luck. So you can decide, you can write everything in React, but you cannot use any other frameworks. With Office UI Fabric, we first had the HTML uh, and CSS, and then there was the React controls, which was uh, different things. We have now different frameworks for Microsoft Teams for uh, still, and and so you really need to know your target platform, what you want to build there. But from a, a design system perspective, I would rather have an HTML and CSS, which is the boilerplate and can transform into any other language you want to write your application in. So what was the, because you said, right, that uh, originally there was Office UI, Fabric, HTML and CSS. What was the, do you, do you recall, like, what was the need for that to evolve into React and then React only in the end? I, I guess it, it, it was a, a timely manner how this happened, because you have to have people that write the HTML and CSS fast and properly and have also that this comes down to the communication uh, to the to the uh, communication between designer and developers right so you have the designer who said we need to have this one and can you build me a react application out of it yeah super can do it but it doesn't have any longevity to it so you you build the application let it run and then you rewrite it from scratch again when you when the design changes right with html and css you have really the boilerplate that is easy to adapt you see exactly where it breaks there is no fancy tooling to it, but you see how the button looks like if you change this variable and this variable in your CSS, um, which if you have everything in a React application, you have the React application and that's it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is a little bit challenging and, and what what other companies do for the websites is also they use the really great style got just an HTML and CSS uh, because you can surf the HTML and CSS even in 100 years when you find a computer that runs a browser, right? Yeah. You don't have any dependencies because it's it, it's a it's a it's a core asset of the web that you have HTML and CSS. And also, what happens there? HTML and CSS was really it evolved slowly, but it was built in a manner that it was also downwards compatible, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we can still, we can probably still use frame frame sets. Yeah, and you, I haven't used it in a while, but I believe it's still there. The browser supports it. Yeah, there and you go. I, I wouldn't be surprised if an iframe is, is frame sets are the the basis of the technical implementation in the browser for the iframes. 
Who knows? Now, Maybe. Now, now, as part of then this design and as part of this HTML discussion, what we're having right now, we're kind of guiding to the, towards to the to the to the project which you established. Um, as Microsoft didn't have an HTML and CSS for Microsoft Fluent, and can you, can you talk about a bit about what did you do to address this? Yeah, I, I started H2 because I wanted to have an, an uh, HTML and CSS version of the Fluent UI framework, and um, I have this method which is atomic design which was coined by Brett Frost the way you have smaller components that then adds up to bigger components like molecules to organisms and then they live on page and templates so I really built the uh, the, uh, the whole components the buttons and, and everything you see there from smaller components and to bigger ones right and this gives me a way to write this HTML and CSS proficient because I you see, you don't build, so where, for example, if you have a button and a split button with a flyout menu, you see just as one with different style information attached to it. And hey, I already have the button design, I don't need to rewrite it again. While when you have simple, the, the, the uh, components there, then you would starting to write for each component a new CSS, right? So. It really adds up, uh, and uh, H2O from an HTML perspective is now, I guess, 86 kilobytes, which nearly contains everything of the Fluent, which is then compressed down when it's cheesed over the wire, then it's four kilobytes or something like that. Yep. Which includes everything. That's quite impressive, actually. So, yeah. why, why does the kilobytes matter? We know. Again, the audience might not know. So it's the page size. You want to minimize, of course, the, the size of the page as small as possible. So yeah, you want to limit the, the page size, uh, the, the size of the page as small as possible. So you, and also the thing is, I mean, we, we love this front end development, but to be honest, it's first the HTML, then the CSS loads, and then at some point, really later, the, the, the JavaScript comes yeah. in and you can give so when when it I mean the network become faster and faster, but you want to give the user a really good experience. So you shouldn't wait until all the JavaScripts are initialized. You just want to have an immediate response when you go to a website and don't wait for ten seconds or something like that. And yeah, also, it, yeah, it's and that that's so and it's like especially you you see this especially either on the phone or on websites that. Like maybe the website by itself works fine, but then you put it in a CMS that does A/B testing, heat maps, telemetry, ads, pop-ups, and then it gets to the point where it freezes, and the whole page will not load until 20 million scripts loaded and run. And you only see this like you won't see it during dev, but you will see it in production once everything is enabled. And that is also like this really poor experience where, as a user, you come to a site and you cannot do anything. Yeah, yeah you like stuff keeps on moving, and you're like, yeah, clicking and you're like, like oh, oh <laughs> yeah, we started. There are cool things that you can avoid now with, with all these moving parts. You can define, uh, for example, I mean, what you have now out of the box is you can lazy load images. So just by slapping on an attribute, which means loading lazy, which then makes everything to the browser, which is more proficient to actually optimize your website or what you also can define you can define on images like an aspect ratio so this image is 16 by 9 and what then the browser does it it really loads 16 by 9 image as a placeholder on, on the yeah. on the web 
and and replace it then with with the image with the actual image so there's a lot of things that you can optimize to to give the user better experience right yeah. um now Coming, coming back on H2O. Yeah. So, so the H2O, um, you basically created that. And then uh, we had Julia on the show uh, as a visitor for a few weeks back. We talked about the H2O React. Can, can yeah. you talk about the, the, um, why did that happen? What's happening? What are the next steps um, and on these things? Sorry for so, jumping. From a timing perspective, I'm just yeah, trying to be. <laughs> yeah, we need to touch this one, one, one more thing. Yeah, yeah <laughs> sure. No, uh, I mean, I built the HO React and Chu is working mostly in, in uh, H2O core and Chu is working mostly in HO React, right? Yeah. So what we have now from a workflow perspective, I built everything out in HTML and CSS. And what she does, she was H2O React, she just wraps my HTML and CSS into React controls that the user then can use in their favorite framework, right? Which area is really convenient, which the React developer don't need to copy and paste out of the style guide from H2O, the HTML snippets, but you can really use the, the button components, the search box components, the card layouts, and so on and so forth. And the, the, the fun starts with H2O when you then, because we have now all these components in there that we can combine and merge together. So the fun starts now because we have this base set and we can build now new components that we didn't serve in H2O, right? Um, and especially we have we don't we don't what what I also try is I, I try to in H2O I try to document things that you see on Office 365 uh, that you see on Office 365 from a user experience perspective, like the card layouts, but we just have a simple set of document cards inside of H2 uh, inside of, of Fluent UI which never found its way into the framework of Fluent UI, but they exist actually in the wild out there on Microsoft applications. So what I really try is, is also to have a complete documentation of all the things that we see throughout our daily lives on, on Office 365 so that other developer think, uh, hey, I want to use the exact same experience, but I have different data or I need to remove something that they can just pick the boilerplate and, and modify it in, in that way. One, so, one, one thing I want to ask, because you mentioned a while back um, that with um, the libraries like uh, Fluent, Office UI, Fabric, and the libraries for your four teams, you need to know the experience for which you're going to build the app or to extend so that you can style it. Is that still the case for H2O or is H2O really the one size fits all across all experiences in 365? Uh, H2O is is uh, one size fits all. So I use, for example, from from a styling perspective, what we use there is is a new uh, concept that is fairly really good supported by the browser, which is CSS variables. So you the the theme that you're actually seeing on H2O core on the documentation there is just defined. I mean the boilerplate is is the Microsoft uh, Office 365 theme stuff, and then I transfer it into CSS variables. But I also have Currently hidden is a team style sheet or a themes definition, a themes definition of the purple, the black theme, and so on and so forth. And the, the idea is to have it switchable. Also, H2O works perfectly fine in, in, in applications like Teams because it gets directly the context out of SPFX where it's running in, and then we get different colors there, which is a, a, a plus, and you don't need to write hey, I write this for, for SharePoint and feel it on a SharePoint page and also write this and feel it in Teams. So it directly gets the correct colors, right? Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, so as such, it also saves developers 
a lot of work because they don't need to build multiple UIs. They just have, they just add this one thing, and then based on the context, they can infer or yeah. the the library itself will actually infer how the app is supposed to look like within yeah. the context, right? Yeah, exactly. And if you think about this, is I mean, this also then comes down to accessibility because when I have my screen in high contrast, then I wanted to have it in high contrast. Also, the stars there. Yeah, applications should adapt automatically yeah. to the Microsoft Teams. Yeah, uh, selected theme. Yeah, so, so really or or AF in Teams, I, I have the dark, or I have my complete operating system in the dark theme and the light theme. Then I also want to have this addressed there. Yeah, yeah. the correct color yeah. theme. And now. One kind of logical reaction on all of this discussion is that uh, yet again, why do we have now and yet again another styling guidance and yet again another React set of controls? Uh, how would I know as a developer what is the set of controls I should be using? Is it the North Star? There's the BMP, whatever the React controls. There's now the H2O controls. There's too many controls. Explode. It is all of them. All them. Them controls. <laughs> what would be the the guidance from your perspective related on? Um, Thing. Use H2. <laughs> <laughs> but why? Why? Not biased, why? not opinionated <laughs> in not any way. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no. What, what, why? Because again, we need to remember that um, the, the normal developer doesn't necessarily even normal know developer. about the options. And <laughs> are you trying to tell that there, are, that there are not normal developers? <laughs> That's my <Yeah>. point. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the developers wouldn't necessarily even know about other options, and maybe they don't want to know because, again, I don't have time. I just need to focus on making things happen. What would be the reason for people to spend time on understanding what it's H2O? I mean, yeah, it's it's difficult from which angle you're coming, right? And I know there are a lot of some developers out there which doesn't use Fluid you are at all because they cannot build what they actually want to build. They use something different like Bootstrap or Tailwind or something like that because they are so used to these classes that they have there. Yeah. Um, they are regular web developers that know how React works, right? And so the goal is here really, if you are fine with the Fluent UI framework and you don't have any problems with it, so use the Fluent UI framework if you're like let's say an enterprise developer, but what I want to give with HO is is regular web developer that came into the Microsoft Office 365 ecosystem, uh, the possibilities to have a faster curve to adapt their applications, their extensions, what they want to have in there, right? And yep. then you should go for HO. Or if you have some troubles or need some components that are not included in 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 Office uh, Fluent UI at the moment, but I have it because they are, exist somewhere in the Office 365 ecosystem, and this is what we are working towards, then happy to use it out of H2O. And okay. it, it doesn't even mean that you have to decide one or the other, because you if I just want to have, for example, the card layouts of H2O, then I, you can use the card layouts and for all the buttons and the rest, you use Office UI, uh, Fluent UI the official implementation. I need to still ask this one more thing, which, which is uh, related on this decision and evaluation of these options, but you're basically a one person. Yeah. So am I now then going to have a dependency on Stefan uh, if I start using H2? How no, does that it's work? open source. The complete source code is shared. We're always looking for people that help us out. And we 
I already got a lot of requests uh, over Twitter, and this is also uh, some uh, some kind of appreciation what we do, what I do there, and what truly does there, uh, because hey, I use this all the time, right? It it doesn't only mean that that you uh, can develop HTML and CSS, but just let us know what you're missing, what you're missing in Fluent UI framework, and if you want to add your HTML stuff there or have components that you use in all your projects, which are compliant with the Office UI or Fluent UI framework, uh, then happy to uh, accept submissions from anyone in the community out there. Cool. Well, like any last questions? We're Thinking about time. I think we need to wrap <laughs> up because there's also this other part of uh, PMP Weekly that we do, which is uh, talk about that, that which what happens in the community. So how about Thank we do you, that? Stefan. Thank you, Stefan, for joining. Really great uh, discussion. Uh, and I, I, the design, let's say, the design language, define design models is one area where I think a lot of the developers it's good to know a bit more. And and at least personally, it's it's always fascinating to have the discussions because I always focus on consuming and using stuff rather than designing things which then other people do do for their development. Which Make is it pretty. Cool. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and and there isn't that many actually community members even who focuses really on making it pretty and not just on the on the implementation. But so really, really cool discussion. Well like any no, we need thoughts. to close. No. <laughs> Stop asking me for more questions, otherwise we will still we will sit here for for you, another hour, yeah, two we'll hours. Jump yeah. on with the articles in this podcast and video recording. Uh, really nice background, by the way. We talked about that one already. <laughs> so <laughs> make sure that the real owner of the room doesn't know that you were there. So yeah. that's really good. <laughs> but thank you, Stefan. And thank you, uh, thank you. we'll be watching and we'll be following up on your journey for sure uh, in the BMP Weekly and the article thank side you. as well. Cheers. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, welcome back. So <laughs> after the interview, thank you, Stefan, one more time. Really cool discussion uh, and great to catch up as well. And and like like we said before we started the interview, Stefan is really, really deep into these things. And, and that's why we were <laughs> drilling down on potentially explaining the basics in a, in a different way. So, um, But Stefan is a really cool person to work with as well uh, when you have him as a design person, because then you as a developer can focus on the implementation technology, which is actually a great way of doing things, because nowadays that's exactly what we do in Microsoft as well. So we have a separate design organization, engineering organization, and PM organization. It's so. crazy talking like, why would you have experts? Yeah, that's true. Yes, yes, and indeed, indeed. Uh, but it's, if we think about the, how stuff have evolved from way, way, way back, uh, I think there are more specific experts in specific areas because it used to be like an advertisement agency and then they came up with something. Hey, here's a BSD file, make this happen. And the developer is like, yeah, but, but, but. Well, but, but. I, I think, to be honest, I think that that didn't change. I think there, is, there are still companies that thrive, you know, on this idea on the side of more um, creative concepts as hey, it's called absolutely. 
Absolutely. And then but they then... will brief the customer like, yes, I want like they will fall in love yeah. in either static HTML or dynamic something. And then you implement it in an app and it's like, it doesn't work. Well, yes, because it's not meant to. It's not meant yeah. for this medium, you know. And so, it's, it's it's really hard for from the picture and design to transform that to be for a developer usable thing. So yeah, it's web just, is not DTP. And I think that that <laughs> exactly. is really what we fought for well, over the years. Well, it's a Figma. Years. Make it happen. Come on. Yeah, so. Just print it, right? Like print it, just put it on the yeah. At some point, we were doing this large project when I was still doing field uh, customer projects, and there was this moment where uh, I was the technical lead, and we cut the designs, and we basically said, here's the designs, and, and then the other people need to make it happen. And and then the question is, okay, can you make this happen? Um, so here's the design. And the answer was, yeah, yeah, absolutely, we can make it happen, as long as you can give us the HTML structure and the needed CSS to make it happen like that. And it's like, yeah, but in the specification. And it's like, yeah, but if I do that, then I actually make it happen. So oh, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. not the intention. Well, and I guess you're supposed then, to do that. <laughs> yeah, and I guess even then, like I recall way back when, when we would build internet sites in SharePoint, right? Like it's a CMS, but it was built in a way that you would add it in place, yep. right? So your site was uh, weaved in with the CMS, right? So yep. if you wanted to implement a UI, you couldn't just come with any HTML. Like you had to match what's in there or you would not be able to use CMS because you wouldn't be able to add it in place, the controls would move around. So I recall doing way, you know, like crazy workarounds to think about how you can implement it, maybe even to the point where we kind of tore apart the editing experience from the view experience so that you can have that semantic HTML yep. while at the same time having this rich rich editing experience. So it's really interesting to see how the pendulum swings over time yep. and where we that's are true. now and well, where we'll be in the next few years. Yep, and it all goes in circles. So we're yeah. always saying, and the other way, and the other way. And so it's, it's Headless really CMS, what you see is what you get, <laughs> editing in place and everything yes. in between, right? Yes. <laughs> Uh, which is so, which is good because then, as long as you stick into the industry, then uh, every now and then you are in this situation. You're like, yeah, I've seen this before. I've seen this. Well, I, I know that this, I've seen this. Play <laughs> it's out. been 84 years. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, and even though you, whoever is watching or listening, I would be a younger person, but it's, it's actually kind of it's it's even easier to think about it in a way that sure there are challenges and sure there are new things to learn but at some point you start realizing the patterns are exactly the same so we introduce yeah. new technologies new things new new uh, low code no code just the designer base no developer no um, it has to be and it, it just the patterns are exactly the same we go from one side to another from a client side to server side to to um, client it, thick client exactly, rich client exactly, exactly. remote client no client <laughs> Now I have this great new idea, and so, yeah, I've seen that before. But let's see how it plays out. So, <laughs> yeah. anyway, let's let's jump on the articles of, today, of this week. Uh, it was actually a quite slow week. Uh, interesting enough, um, I guess maybe I don't know. I don't want to speculate more on what's causing the slow <laughs> week. But let's jump on the articles. So first of all, uh, from a Microsoft side of the house, uh, kind of a collective article uh, from Seth Patton. Uh, he is a general manager in Microsoft 365 uh, marketing side of the house. Uh, and this is a cool kind of a summary uh, article 
related on recently announced or recently covered topics uh, in the Microsoft Viva mainly, because Microsoft Viva is really our employee experience platform, and we are starting to see rolling out new features, new features, new features, new features. So something like Viva Insight Inspiration Library, which is actually an interesting thing as well. So basically, content, best practices, and dot leadership content written by experts. So we just don't talk about technology and opportunities of the platform of things, we are actually introducing actual content, which is a, a cool add-on value for sure uh, on these things. Focusing on employee work-life mode's well-being and summaries on those things, references on all of the new articles. So really nice summary article referencing on how we do things and what are the latest related on Microsoft Viva. So great work on that. Now, the next one uh, was streamline your day in a hybrid workplace with workflow on Microsoft Teams. Exactly. So for a while now already, we have the Microsoft's uh, our automate that allows you to build flows. And flows are basically automated steps or steps to help you automate tasks, whether it's reacting to something that's changed. Imagine you receive an email and you want to auto archive it or triage it, or you have invite for an event and you want to auto accept it or something has changed or maybe based on the weather you want to do something. So with Flow, you can build automations. And now apparently you can also create flows for Microsoft Teams. And that makes perfect sense because we spend more and more time working in Microsoft Teams. So why not that being the place from which you can orchestrate and automate your work? So why would hey, why, why would you go to some other location and our tool? And instead you can create flows to automate and enhance your work directly from Teams. Yep, absolutely. This is really, really cool. So directly in the context of Teams, like like we're telling for our third-party uh, application developers to do. So it's it's just fair that we do it within our solutions as well. Now, the next one was enable management of content types and add, add taxonomy columns from modern libraries and list views. And this is from Freya Ganguly. Uh, and this really around the fact that um, the managed metadata fields and taxonomy fields are getting back into place uh, in the modern SharePoint experiences. It's actually kind of a sad to talk about it as a modern and a classic because it's already five years since we introduced, in quotes, to modern. But new features, new capabilities, uh, kind of a how would I put it, almost like leftovers, which were not there, are getting now addressed. And then it's pretty evitable, uh, ev 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 it's gonna happen sooner or later that we will leave the classic experiences behind. So it's just written on the wall, at least in my wall, but you can't see that, so. We will leave classic. <laughs> <laughs> that is an awesome quote. <laughs> yeah. And related on the Teams announcement on the workflows, this is really cool as well. So Exactly. This is another take on the same announcement, the ability to create Power Automate flows from inside Teams, but then the take from the Power Automate teams who owns flows. Yeah. So definitely, if you think about automating your work, this is definitely a new feature interesting for, for you to check out and give it a try and think about how does that fit in the flow of your work. The flow of your work. Just take the flow and take care of the flow of your work. So, anyway. um, but you can acquire those also from store. I think that wasn't actually mentioned on the team side of the house, but and that is a, a new really cool thing for sure. So really, 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 really good. Now, uh, learn from the community series uh, from Icabus uh, had a new article on Microsoft MVPs digitalized 
knowledge in the community bot for one tribe. And basically this is a three MVPs. So Tommy, Hans and Stefan are talking about their scenario and how it's being built and why did they do that and how it does actually work. And Igobas is a senior cloud advocate. Titles doesn't really matter that much, but she's really good on, on uh, and the series is really good on connecting people to real world scenarios so and how they have been built. So really good job on there. Now, this one's interesting also from Lee Ford. Yes, so what if you could get in Teams a daily inspirational quote? So Lee Ford shows how you can build that or a way to build that in Microsoft Teams. You would build a bot that serves you a inspirational quote or a quote or anything that you might want to get with an with an interval of time. So he walks through the components that he used, um, why this approach and not the other. And then also at the end, there's also a link to a repo, GitHub repo with all the codes for you to explore. Yep, which is always cool. So um, you can actually go to the code level and have a look on things if you, if you want to learn uh, how it has been built. So really, really cool thing uh, for sure. So thank you, Lee, on that. Now, uh, Leon Armstrong had a new blog article uh, related and create a local syntax model on a SharePoint site. Uh, so you would not create a tenant level syntax model. You would actually create a local syntax model and specifically on a SharePoint site. It talks about those differences and what does it mean and how do you make those things happen uh, in a SharePoint syntax. Leon has been really focusing on the SharePoint syntax. And uh, depending on when you're watching or listening this show, he's actually joining on, the, I think it's 13th, 31st uh, of March. Uh, so within a few days to the live demo of some of the syntax apps in the community call as well. So thank you, Leon, on that really, really cool stuff. Then there was a new release on CLI. Correct. So earlier, or actually when we recorded this, last week we did our um, another preview version of CLI from Microsoft 365. And in there, we included new command that allows you to validate config of your SharePoint framework project. So imagine that you clone a repo, you get code from somebody else, or you did something and it doesn't work. You get an error, you get issues, you get errors. Like typically the first step we recommended up until now is go to github.com, create issue on the SP dev docs repo, and we're at Microsoft Go or community will try to respond to it as soon as we can. But that can be minutes, hours, maybe even days if there are many issues in a queue. Now with this command, we aim to give you some tooling that allows you to basically, that, that empowers you to take a stab and try to fix your own issues. So we have a number of checks that we implemented in a tool that go through project that you want to scan and comes back with a report saying, hey, Either everything's fine and we don't see anything odd, and yet you maybe you still have an issue. And for that, you will still create an issue in a repo. But maybe if we find something, then we can say, hey, we found these few things that seem odd. Here is a script that you can run to fix it. And maybe that will fix the issue you have. So this is definitely something that if you build apps for Microsoft 365 using SPFX, this is definitely a tool you should have in your toolbox because in an odd case, something would go wrong. You can run it directly by yourself without waiting for anyone else, right? So it's this very easy and quick way to diagnose if there is anything wrong that we might already know of and that you could fix by yourself, or maybe it's something more exotic that needs to uh, have somebody else to look at. 
sort of thing. Really, really cool. Uh, cool way of reducing the requirement of going to the issue list and asking, asking help from Microsoft as well, which helps everybody. And so. waiting for a reply. Like I think that yep. that is still the hardest thing because it's it literally puts you on sidetrack. Like now you have to wait, and that that also might not work as well across time zones because if you are in geography that is, you know, evening time during daytime in US, well then you might take a day or two before you're at the point where you can fix it, right? So sure. that is definitely, you know, the self-service way to be less stuck. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, moving on uh, on the articles, Daryl as a service on Daryl Webster uh, had an article uh, on Dad. Microsoft. He's, he's apparently for service. So a Microsoft Loop for one-to-one -one meetings and, and collaboration. So basically, how can you use the Microsoft Loop uh, in an efficient way to collaborate for one-to-one -one meetings? And, and for example, good notes actually related on pinning uh, discussions and pinning things. So one of the discussion points uh, when you're creating that loop might be that if it's chat between me and Waldek as an example, that discussion might actually get hidden as the time goes by and we keep on chatting on other things. So we can actually pin the loop in the chat so we can easily find that. So it's actually a really cool way of, of then having the one-to-one, -one, uh, let's say, live agenda and summary on, hey, last time which I agreed that you would do X and Y and Z and I will look on the things that we do of that. And so having that easy view on, on summary. So really, really cool uh, way for that um, and additional notes and guidance on that. Thank you, Daryl, on that. Really, really cool stuff. Then heading uh, to the video section, uh, we had a new video from Paolo. Yes, in which he discusses inviting guest users in SharePoint Online via Power Automate flows. Right, so when you work across orgs, you have guests in your tenant, you might need to share with them files, folders, and so forth and so on. And you might want to automate that. So as opposed to I'm creating a file and I want to share, share that. Maybe you have more structured way, like you work in projects, you have contractors, and then just like a part of the way your company works, in that case, you would automate it. You would express that in process. And Paula shows how you can use Power Automate flows to create folders, share folders, and so forth and so on to automate that work so that you don't need to have a Word doc or some other doc click this, go there, do this, do these specific actions. Like, no, you can you can automate that. And he yep. shows ex um, exactly how. Yep, really cool stuff. Thank you, Paolo, on that one. And then there was a new video from uh, Giuliano De Luca, how to use workflows apps in Microsoft Teams, which is aligned with the workflow announcement, which we just went through. So he's walking, walking through those things. Uh, nice 12 minutes summary on showcasing where to find them, how to use them, uh, and how to started on using that stuff. This is really hard. English is so hard. English is hard. English is hard. English. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Who am I to say otherwise, right? Uh, that's true. Anyway, so really good job, uh, Juliana, on that one. Uh, and great on the point of the timing because of the announcements and everything else. So really, really cool uh, to get a video on those cases as well. And then there was a new video from Shane Young. Exactly. So in this episode, Shane talks about Power Apps data functions, especially around manipulating dates. Date, no, it's manipulating data. Data, oh, sorry. data, yeah, I, data. I thought days, but maybe, no, it's not, no. So it's more uh, about uh, collections. So you have a, a collection of data, like an, in programming terms, array. And then how can you get things like first shuffle, random, group things by in property and so forth and so on. So if, when, if you build apps, like there's, 
it's just a matter of time before you will need that. And then having this video bookmarked will be really timely. Yep, really, really cool. Thank you, Shane, on that one. And that's all we're going to do today. So let's actually close up sharing. Is that all we're going to do today? We're not doing anything else? No working, no emails? Just just this? That would be, yeah, that would be so nice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I guess. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I had to go 7 a.m. out with the dogs because of the one of the dogs were uh, feeling not good. So it's oh, always good when you're oh. waking up on the fact that and you realize, that, oh, we need to go now. So Yes, now. And uh, when it's snowing and it's still cold and all of that stuff. So you, need, so, you just yeah, said you know. it was spring. It, it is, still? but yeah, new snow is the death of the old snow, as they say in Finland. That is a real saying. That's deep. <laughs> I have no idea what it means, but it's deep. Like new, snow. new snow melts away older snow because the new snow basically melts faster. So then the, yeah, but it, it is a real saying in Finland. So. <laughs> okay, I wouldn't know. I've I've never I've never went that deep in the snow. Yeah, like, exactly. We didn't have snow here in the Netherlands for, for years, so I don't know. <laughs> And what is it? There's like 25 different uh, words meaning on the different snow types and all of that in Finnish. But really, know. yeah. Wow, <laughs> I I thought that there was a thing in um, Iceland and Reykjavik and in Greenland all the, all, as well. But, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, like if your life depends on it, then it's it's a thing. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, there's a different definition when the when the snow when there's like 50 centimeters or one uh, meter snow, and whenever the snow in the top is hard enough, so you can walk on that rather than it fills you in. And so there's a different kind of a, all of that has a different meaning because then you know that can you actually walk on the snow or not, or are you going to be all the way in in the snow? So the things you but learn anyway. Anyway, so. <laughs> Super important things. Yes, <laughs> I mean apparently yes. Like if you live I'm just, live in an area with snow, like yeah. I'm just sad that there's still snow out there because I would love to go skating. <laughs> but yeah, I know. No, no, I, no know. <laughs> I know. On, although on the other hand, they said that, that by the end of this week it's gonna um, again be raining. So I I think okay. that was it. I think that was it, and we're already moving to the fall. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Anyway, what's happening this week? Anything interesting on your side? MVP so, Summit. Uh, MVP I'm Summit. pumped to be able to take part, albeit on the other side, but really interested to hear the latest announcements on our end um, yeah. and also the how they're being perceived by MVPs who are yeah. really experts in their field and bring perspectives from the customers with whom they work, their experience with the work projects that they do. So it's always invaluable, at least to me, to hear from them, would that work? Does that solve problems that they need? Is there anything else that we need to take into account? So it's going to be interesting. Is it what? Two or three days, I guess? Three days. Three days. Virtually. Yeah. 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 Oh, those are the primary days. There are some yeah. uh, exceptions of that yeah. as well. But but that's, yeah, that's good. I'm actually moderating like 20 of those sessions, which is... So Whatever. in other words, you will be there. Yes, I will be there. <laughs> you will be present. Uh, so there will be one. And then another one, uh, by the end of this week, we're releasing a new version of CLI for Microsoft 365. Um, so we're finalizing that. Other than that, it's just work as usual. Yep. Yeah. And 
well, on my side, we're going to announce finally the public availability of GA, so to say, on the unified sample gallery that's coming out this week. Uh, we've been pushing that and showing that already for quite a long time. But now it's ready to say that, okay, so it's it's good enough to it's say ready. that it's ready and we keep on evolving that. But it, it's yeah. it's actually, we have more than 1,000 samples already there and people can easily find all of the craft samples, Office samples, uh, Microsoft Teams samples, SharePoint framework sample, Microsoft List samples and all of that, and scripts as well. In so single it's, place. It's really, in single in place, single which place, is really, really cool. Really cool, yeah. Uh, what else is happening? Uh, 1.15, we should have a new version actually out in 1.15 of SharePoint framework, so the beta version. Um, together with the first public version of the list overriding capabilities. So that's coming out this week, if I'm not mistaken, uh, which just mm. make sure that the tutorial is out there as well. Interesting, interesting, interesting. This is really exciting. And I recall we, I, I recall when we talked about uh, the ability to override lists with Fossil, you know, the forms yes. on list yes. like that is yes. way back. I don't know, we had, we had uh, Ignite in person. Yeah, um, that's way a really back long time ago. Yeah, so, but exactly. that, that so, was yeah. a really, I guess it's fine to say right now that it was a relatively weird setup because the initial thinking with fossils was that it's the access services, which is then going to be transformed as the UX for lists. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry, well, what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, but hey, it it went to a different direction and it's, it's fine. It's, it's okay. Back then? We didn't have SPFX then, right? Yet. Uh, I I don't think we did. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Also, that's... it was either that or or sandbox. True. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. And 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 I guess that's the primary things uh, for my side. I guess there's a lot of other stuff as well. But um, and of course, MVP summit is going to take like 20 hours of the of the week. But you know. It's good. Hours it's good in to get the you. evening on top of the the eight yes. hours you've already worked. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yes. <laughs> that, that's, how it, that's how it works. <laughs> so, but it should be really good. A lot of lot of uh, normal day to day work as well. But uh, oh, we are starting a new getting started series on the YouTube channel, um, most likely this week as well, which is really cool. Oh, so less than what? five Can minutes. Can you un unveil a little about about what? Uh, new video series, uh, one video per day, uh, which is always getting started on. X and Y and Z. So getting started on using X or Y and Z or doing something. So a less than five minutes video always on a new area of Microsoft 365 and how to get started. So, so that's something what we've been working together with uh, Microsoft employees and MVPs for a while. And, and now it's time to get it moving. Uh, so. Oh, I'm good. looking forward to that. So there will be only videos or will, will they also have a Counterpart articles. Only videos for Only. now, at least. That okay. was the basic idea. Right? So uh, it's just balancing out also the, the amount of announcements, what we do in the blog posts, uh, which yep. we didn't have that many announcements in the developer blog this week, though. So maybe we should do hmm. ah. Interesting. Ah. 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 On that bombshell. <laughs> I guess that's enough. But thank you, everybody, for watching and listening this time. I will be back with the episode 160 next week. Thank you, Walde. Thank you, Stefan. Thank you, have a great rest of the week. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>